United States, we value independence, freedom, self-reliance, individualism. The capitalist uh, economy and culture that we have, that uh, this capitalistic system that has provided life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the last two and a half centuries has been quite an experiment. These values that were self-evident in those people that started our country that we are going to learn to stand on our own two feet. We're going to learn to rely on ourselves. We're going to fight for each other. But we're going to do it in a way that, is, that each person is taking responsibility for their lives. These values, the older I get, the more I appreciate them. When they're thought about correctly. When we understand what we mean by that individualism, what we mean by... Uh, that self-reliance and freedom. And as we look at the passage of Scripture today, I couldn't help but think that to be Christian isn't necessarily in conflict with a capitalist position or with uh, the United States value system, but it certainly, to me, flushes it out and fills it out in a radical way. So we're going to consider today, what does it mean to grow up we're calling the, I'm calling the sermon The Path of Wise Children, but as we begin, I want you to know that I'm not preaching to just people under 18 years old or under 16 years old. I'm preaching to those of us that are in the children of God and sitting underneath wisdom. And I'm also preaching to those who are young, who have their lives ahead of them and have the opportunity to make wise decisions or make decisions that... Um, could thwart their freedom, could thwart their ability to be independent or dependent on God. Proverbs 3, uh, verses 1 through 15, the path of wisdom. We're going to be looking at this passage and then springing off of it and trying to understand what does it mean to have Christian values? What does it mean to have godly values that will hold us well and, and help us to flourish? So we'll begin by reading the first six verses of chapter 3 of Proverbs, and we're going to see that wise children trust in God. And the reason I picked children is because of how this begins. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. My son, do not forget my teaching. Who was Proverbs written to? Proverbs was written from a, the position of a parent to a child. Much of it is framed in the, in the idea that someone who has lived through life, who has seen wisdom, and can bestow on another a path that is better for them if they'll listen, and that other person, in this case the son, it's not just speaking to sons and daughters from a father, it has always been read 
from the position of the people of God. That this is for the people of God. The people who call themselves Yahweh followers, the Jewish nation, they looked to Proverbs for wisdom for everyone. They all saw themselves as the children of God and receiving wisdom from their father. My son, do not forget my teaching. What is the teaching? Well, for Proverbs' perspective, we're talking about all of the, re- the writings of Proverbs. All that will be written in, in the book of Proverbs, look at all of it, hang on to it, hold it, don't forget it. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let your heart keep my commandments. I, think, I can't help but think that this extended beyond the book of Proverbs and that they would have known the Ten Commandments and they would have known the law of God and they would have thought of it that God himself is saying, the God of wisdom is saying to his children, trust me, keep my commandments. What does it mean to keep my commandments? Well, you're going to have to know his commandments first. You're going to have to study his word. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to meditate and memorize his word to understand. If you want a life of wisdom, and we're going to moment see the benefits of that wisdom, you're going to have to know the truth. It's not enough to say, well, you know, here's a guidebook of the rules of the road and and, uh, and I studied and I took a driver's ed class and in so doing, I decided to learn to drive and then I started driving having learned the law and the rules of the road so that I could flourish on the road. If someone decides, well, I'm not going to read that, I'm not going to study that, I'm not going to learn from others and I'm going to get in a car and I'm just going to start driving and make it up as I go. I've got wisdom enough. Stop signs? Eh, As we consider the path of life, God has given us rules, he's given us laws, he's given us structure, he's given us his wisdom, and it's our job to keep that wisdom. The first is to know it, the second is to follow it, is to obey it. And then he says in verse 3, and verse 2, length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. In verse 2 and verse 3, we see some of the benefits of the wisdom of God. And they are not small. Length of days and years of life. Right away you might think, well, there have been wise people who have died young. Is this a promise that you're going to live into your 80s? Does everybody who walks with the Lord as a child of God make it to their 80s or 90s? The answer is no. We don't. So what is this length of days and years of life? What does that mean? Well, Jesus himself lived to 33. And what did he accomplish? And how did he live? And what was the impact of his life? Length of days were not measured in the amount of days or the amount of years. It was measured in the wise life that he lived. And no one lived wiser than Jesus. No one accomplished more, no matter how long they lived. So these length of days that are promised to your life if you live wise, it means that your days will matter. I mean, your days will flourish. That your days can have impact that go beyond your life. You know, I just got my stuff together and I built my life and I had nice cars in my garage. But what difference did it make? Length of days and years of life will be added to you if you seek wisdom, child of God. 
peace they will add to you. Shalom. What does shalom mean? And we've thought about this word. This peace is not just the avoidance of difficulties and conflict. It's about a wholeness to your life, a completeness, a soundness to your life. It's about health and safety and prosperity, but not prosperity from a capitalistic perspective, prosperity from a God perspective. Meaning that we have a wholeness under God, empowered by God, that we have a solidness to our life, that we have a surety, that people can rely on us, they can trust us. There's godliness in this wisdom. Peace will be added to you if you choose wisdom, if you don't forget the teaching and you keep the commandments. Verse 3, it says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Maybe when you're in college and you're thinking about a wise life, you're thinking, I'm going to pick the job or the occupation you've studied and you looked at what are occupations that work with my personality, but there's also the plausibility of getting a job. Wisdom. I'm going to pick a spouse who will be faithful to me and I'll be faithful to them or I'm going to buy a house but make sure I can pay for it. There are these huge decisions ahead for people who are 18 years old. And you can sometimes feel like, well, from 18 to, to 30, 35, whatever that, that gap is, that there are these decisions that you're making that are going to impact the rest of your life. But maybe after 35, you kind of settle in and the big decisions are made. I don't think that's at all true. And he doesn't actually suggest that occupation and housing are the primary, the primary concerns of wisdom. Look in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Steadfast love, chased. That love of God, it's the mercy, the loving kindness, the goodness, unfailing love. If you want a full life, choose love. Choose to love others faithfully. Choose to be loved and sit under the love of God and reflect that on the people around you. If you want to thrive, you thrive in direct connection to your relationship with God, child of God. You do not thrive based on the kind of car you drive. I mean, I, I wanted my kids to pick wisely when they bought a car. We talked about it. I look at the U.S. News and World Report, review on the cars, see how reliable they are, see how safe they are. Pick wisely. Don't pick flashy and fun. Pick wisely. Is that the most important information that my children had to become wise? No, not nearly close enough. Whether they drive a junker or not, if they have love, unfailing love, they will flourish. Hold on to it. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What are we clinging to at each season of our lives? Whether we're 12 years old or 92 years old, what are you clinging to? Wisdom says cling to the love of God, the unfailing, steadfast love of God and pour that out on others. If you want a full life, don't let that and don't let the faithfulness of God and our faithfulness to others depart from you. 
and you'll be rich. There is a wisdom that is afforded to you that goes well beyond being a child of the United States and it goes into being a child of God. Choose wisdom. In verse 4, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You can find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Many of my friends and neighbors and the world around me have thought that favor with man was defined by looking rich. Favor will come if my house is bigger. Peace will come if I've got nice things, better clothes than the other kids I go to school with, better clothes than the people of in my neighborhood. How embarrassing it is that I've got a Toyota diesel pickup with a wood bumper, which I drove one of those. And yet, that's not where peace is found. That's not where joy is found. That's false advertising. When we see it on the television, it says, if you have this, your life will be full and complete. You deserve it. That's not what the children of God place their trust in. You see, wise children trust in God and to find favor and success in the sight of God first and then man second requires, look in verse 4, second half of it, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 have been verses that I have longed to get to since I started the Proverbs series. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. If you want straight paths, God Himself is the one who straightens it. He's the one that takes twisted stories and makes them straight. He redeems, He restores. And when we trust God as the children of God, it is as much the beginning of wisdom as the fear of God which causes us to trust God. Trust in God with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. I was having dinner with a friend of mine. Uh, he is a Christian man who is mid-80s. He has flourished by everyone's standards he's done well and I asked him I mean from the time he was a boy till now he has made wise decisions that have caused him to flourish that have caused not only his family to trust him but communities to trust him boards to trust him and he has had influence around the world how'd you do it what's your secret my mom and dad taught me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and I have lived by it my whole life. From the time he was a little boy, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean, acknowledge him? It doesn't mean on, as you're going, hey God, how you doing? It means as I'm going, I recognize God is the one that has given me life. God is the one who has given me breath. It is God to whom I need to answer. And as I take this step, I want to take this step in the wisdom that God has provided for me. 
Trust in the Lord means praying over it, means asking the Lord to watch your steps and help me to be the man and the woman and the young person and the old person that God has asked me to be. I want to thrive today in all the areas, God, that you have called me to be. And what does thriving mean? It means I have acknowledged you and I have trusted you and I've done it for you and through you. And it is so much more than just being Christian and going to church on Sunday and adding this on to all the things that I do. It means that everything that I do is defined by my trust in the living God and my relationship now as Christians with Jesus Christ. In all your ways acknowledge Him and God Himself will straighten your paths. You can trust Him. And the beautiful thing about that is is it doesn't matter how old you are or how far you've wandered from the path or how much life you've lived that has been unwise. We have a redemptive God that if you'll trust Him today, He'll straighten it from here. It's one of the things I... I was older as a Christian before I learned this. But God doesn't have just a redeemed story for us. He takes us from where we are right now and He has a God's best for me now. Which means when Jesus meets the woman at the well who has failed in relationships again and again and again and again and again and again, He says right then and there, for her, she has a new beginning that is She can be found in God's best. She doesn't look back and say, well, God's best was at one year old, I blew it, and everything is second best from here. There is a God's best for you right now. That's the God that we trust in. The wisdom of God for us as children starts with trusting God. Second, the wisdom of children is to honor God. If you want to be wise, look at verses 7 through 10. Do not... Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There is a Constant back and forth going on through this passage that we're looking at today in Proverbs 3 of do this and this is what you're going to get as a reward. And the rewards are astounding. We've seen shalom, we've seen chesed, we've seen faithfulness. These are the things that become the culture of your wise life, your God-honoring life. Now, in the next instruction part, do this Don't choose to be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Stay a child. In the sense that you're staying a child, that I am reliant on God. Now this speaks against the American culture of I am a self-made man. I picked myself up by my own bootstraps. I am the author of my own story. No, in reality as Christians, as children of God, we remain being children in the house of God. And yes, we move towards independence financially and we grow up and we take responsibilities, but we never depart from being children of God who rely moment by moment, day by day on the living God. Being wise and honoring God means we stay in his household. We choose not to say, I'm wise enough that I can handle it on my own. I'll check in with you at the end of this. 
I hope you bless what I'm about to do. No, instead our prayer is, God, I, I don't want to take one step outside of the Spirit. I want to make wise decisions. I want to live. I don't want to have to have a fresh start that, because I failed, failed, and failed. Honor God begins with understanding we need to fear the Lord. And again, to revisit fearing the Lord. This is real fear, but it is a fear that doesn't define us. It's a fear that moves to faith and moves to love. If we stay afraid that causes us to stay out of relationship, that's not the fear we're talking about. Fear of the Lord drives us into relationship. It's a fear of disappointing our Father. It's a fear of misstepping and relying on His grace. It's a fear of failing in a way that hurts God and hurts others who are looking to us to show them what relying on God looks like. But that fear drives us into the hands of God. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the promise. We've seen the promise of shalom and chesed and faithfulness and this, this life that matters and has length of days. Now he says in verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Does that mean we can go to the hospital and teach people this and then they're going to be healed from their diseases? The healing that we're talking about here is the same kind of healing that David talked about in Psalm 32 when he felt like his body was being crushed under guilt and shame. The healing that God provides is a spiritual in nature and it, and it spreads to emotional and physical and relational. And it's this holistic feeling that Shalom addresses that we are getting healed as we trust God, as we fear God, as we choose not to trust the wisdom that we have, but we trust in God's wisdom. It is honoring to God and He brings healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Is it really wise, American brothers and sisters, to give away the first tenth of what we make? Is it really wise if you're a farmer to give the first 10% of the produce when you don't know if the rest of the produce is actually going to be... I mean, wouldn't it be smarter if we said, God, we'll give you the last 10%. That's shrewd. Let us pay my bills. Let me make sure things are covered. Let me sure I'm wise. And then I'll give God with what's left over. I confess I have lived like that sometimes. And what does it say? Am I trusting me to produce or am I trusting God to produce? First fruits is a fascinating concept that God has required of his children from the beginning. The idea that we would give before we receive. That we would trust God with the whole produce and we would set apart the very best for the Lord. We do it with our time. That we give the Lord the best of our time, not the leftovers. We do it with our money. We do it with our efforts. We do it with our gifts. We say What it's saying to God is that we understand we are first your children before we are children of the United States. 
that we are your children before we are defined by any other position, and we believe that all that we receive is from you, and we're going to trust you with all that we get by giving you the first portion and the best portion. It speaks to how we honor God with all that we have and all that we are. It isn't necessarily very smart from entrepreneurial business decision unless God is truly your Father and He's the one who's providing. Do you believe that God is the one who is ultimately providing for you? Do you believe that? Then you will honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. In verse 10 it says, Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with, with wine. Okay, I get it now. This is a business plan, right? This is a business plan for how I can be the richest guy in my neighborhood. I'm going to give 10% and and God is going to cause me to flourish in such a way that I'm going to drive the nicest cars. I mean, is this a business plan? Is this a reworking of capitalism? I don't think so. I don't think it's, I mean, it's a business plan. It's a business plan that takes into account that first, we are children of God before we are children of anything else. And that God is premier in our lives and he's more important to our our relationship with him and the wisdom of choosing to trust him and to honor him first speaks volumes about what we believe of the rest of the world and our involvement in the rest of the world. We believe that God will be the one who will cause us to flourish. And I would argue from a Christian perspective, we flourish when our hearts are filled with Christ's character, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors will trust us, not because we're rich, but will trust us because we're rich in the character of Christ. If you want a healthy home, it's not just the stuff you have. You have a healthy home based on the relationship that you have with Christ and to Christ as He flows through us. And we make these decisions to honor God because what we get in the response is the fruit of the Spirit. And not one of them is attached to money. Now I recognize that there are many who preach that if you give to God, He is going to give to you and you're going to get lots more back. While I agree with the premise, I disagree with how they apply it. I do not think this is a plan to get ahead financially. I think this is a plan that you're trusting that God is the one who will cause your life to flourish. And this overflow is the overflow that God would have for us. A full heart. The kind of heart that can love in the face of persecution. Who can love those who hate them. The kind of heart that can give even to those who don't give back. The kind of heart that can give and not look to receive praise. But does it because it's between you and your living God because your relationship with the living God is the primary relationship in your life and you show it by the way that you live your life and you chose to show it by the choices you make. Honor God with your lives and watch and see what God does. Wise children trust God. Wise children honor God. Let's look at a couple verses. I skipped this in the first section. Jonathan, I want to honor Jonathan for a minute. Jonathan is like, he just rolls with me, and if I skip stuff, he just keeps going. So he does that shrug thing. I got this. You're the man. Let's go Proverbs 20, verse 13. 
Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Why Proverbs 20, verse 13? Because we make a choice each day to get up and receive that day's responsibilities and take responsibility for those, those responsibilities. Choose not to love avoiding. Choose to engage in the world that God has given you. Go after it. Don't relax and, and procrastinate. I was a chief procrastinator as a kid. Don't do it. Life isn't there. It's not what you think it is. Sleeping and po- will lead to poverty. Well, the poverty that we're talking about in regards to wisdom is not just financial. We're talking about your whole life. Get up and live your life for God. In Proverbs 23, 19 through 20, 21, Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be among Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Choose what wisdom. Don't choose to place your trust in alcohol, in in things that you can be addicted to. Don't place your trust in video games. Don't place your trust in vacations. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm saying that when we get it out of order and we put our trust in those things and don't put our trust in the Lord, we will get what we invested in. Choose not to go. Why why do people choose? I have friends who have dealt with alcoholism. I have have people that I'm very close to and, and it is, in many ways, medicating problems. How am I responding to what I'm going through? Well, I'm choosing to take responsibility for it myself and I will medicate it the way I choose to medicate it. We have a country that this is an epidemic for. In our country, people are medicating the problem in an inappropriate way and that is leading to lives that are being stolen from them. Choose to not clothe yourselves with those things. They lead to poverty. In Proverbs 31.30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. For those of us who have lived long enough, we realize that beauty is fleeting. People being impressed with how you look, that passes. Putting your trust in your athletic ability in your financial prowess, in how people look at you in business, putting your trust in those things for your self-image will fall flat. In this case, he's talking to a young girl. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. If you put your trust in the Lord, it has not just temporal value, it has eternal value. If you choose to I am going to work at honoring the Lord and I'm going to work at trusting Him and not trust in the things that other people... We do kids such a disservice when we sit there and praise them profusely for their athletic ability or for their beauty. Because then in their 20s and their 30s when that athletic ability slips and the beauty isn't what it was, and we haven't talked about inner beauty and we haven't talked about what really makes a person valuable 
And all of a sudden they have identity crisis. Who am I if I'm not that? If you choose from a young age and at every age to put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, you will be praised by both God and man for what you should be praised for. Finally, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. I'm going to say two things about this because I'm speaking to children as if we're all children of God. So the first is speaking to the relationship between parents and children. There was a shift in my lifetime where I heard parents in church say, my kid shouldn't respect me unless I'm right. My kid shouldn't respect me unless I've led well and earned that respect. I don't think that's true. I think the children should respect their parents and honor their parents insofar as they possibly can and only depart from it when it's a matter of honoring God and serving Him above that. But never leave honoring your parents. And I don't care how old you are, continue to honor your parents. I don't care if your parents are still here, continue to honor your parents. Continue to respect them. Continue to listen to them. There's something that happens in a, in a young person's life, and I actually think it's a wise thing for it to happen. They hit 12 years old. You know, at 8 years old, a kid thinks that their parents are Superman and Superwoman and that they can do all things, and I go to them for everything. At 12 years old, there's this incredible shift from my parents are awesome to they don't know anything. They don't know my life. They don't know what goes on. They're just completely oblivious. And I actually, doing youth ministry, can affirm that it's right for a kid to pull away from their parents and learn to stand on their own two feet. That's that end of, we want them to grow up. We don't want them to be 40 and still on the couch, right? We want them to, to learn to stand and to learn to fight for life. But even during that time, as a youth leader, I was constantly sending them home, go home and respect your parents. Go home and listen to them. Go home and get wisdom from them. And I'm going to add this. We, are we have the privilege in this church of having people who are older, who have retired, who have a wealth of knowledge. I wrote on the, on the ride up to the retreat with a man who is older, who has stories to tell, and no one wants to hear him anymore, unfortunately. And as we talked for two and a half hours, Andy and I are talking to him, and Andy and I's lives were enriched by showing him respect and listening. There is a great gift to our church by having the elderly with us. There is a great gift to our lives if we hear their stories, if we hear about what it was like for them and what they see. And, and to those of us who are, who are older, and I put myself in the camp now, for those of us who are older, there is a great gift we have in having kids run around. There's a great wisdom that we have by listening to each other and showing respect to each other. It's not just, as children of God, we need to honor each other. 
Honor our parents. Honor our kids. Listen and, and learn from each other. And it will go well with us. We enjoy long life. I love many things about the United States and the culture of individualism and the culture of self, uh, you know, standing up and fight for yourself and, and, and take arms. And I, I, there's so much in the United States that I have admired and I love the history of the 250 years. There's something I'm embarrassed of. We throw away the elderly. We don't think they're valuable. We measure people by what they produce. And that is a poor measurement of people. We value people because God values them. And they matter. Wise children trust God. Wise children honor God. Wise children submit to God. Look at verses 11 to 15. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. The word of the Lord, the word of God, this, this, this letter that we're looking not at Proverbs has this version of wisdom that it's trying to tell us about, this godly wisdom. It's referring to the law of God, but for us as Christians, we look at the whole Bible and we look at what God's Word has taught us and we put ourselves underneath it and when we come to it and we read it and we preach it and we learn what God has said, we receive discipline. Don't grow weary. That's what it says. Don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. The expectation is that as children of God, we are going to continue to be disciplined. As long as we have breath, none of us has arrived, none of us has achieved wisdom. We can't look around at the rest of the room and say, come to me and I will show you how to live. No, we come to the word of God together and we ask the Lord, how do we live? How can we flourish? And we do it by studying his word and opening up our hearts to be disciplined and reproved. When's the last time the Lord disciplined you? I promise you if you're his child, he's been trying. I promise you, one, you haven't arrived, and I promise you, two, that he cut, loves you enough to move you towards wisdom. The question is, if you're not feeling his discipline, it's not God who's not engaging, it's you that's not engaging. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or grow weary of reproof. Lean in, stay humble, and ask God how he wants you to change so that you can live wisely. In verse 12, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. The Lord reproves him whom he loves. This is highly relational discipline. God loves us. God is speaking into our lives. I don't know if during the Proverbs series God has spoken into your life. I hope he has. He's been speaking into mine. And am I listening? At the, at the men's retreat, uh, both Rob and Max, those are the two talks I had. I, I wrote 
notes, and then I was given time. We were given time to go off and pray, and I was down by the lake, and it started with confession. And I could write down the things I was confessing of God, help me. I've got such a long way to go. And the God who loves me more than anyone else, who is the good Father, who's the perfect Father, and He, as a Father, the Son in whom He delights. Do you know that God delights in you, child of God? That He delights in you? Not because you've arrived. Because you've shown up as a child willing to be changed. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Do you know that the, if you want to live the best that we can have, the best life we can have is a God-honoring, God-trusting, God-fearing life that's being changed by the living God because you're walking with Him? Verse 14, the one for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. It is significant, I think, to note that God in this passage uses a female to mark wisdom. Maybe we could take that, husbands, go ahead and listen to our wives a bit. The gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. That was supposed to be a little bit funny. That wasn't serious. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. No, this woman who's described as wisdom that we can receive, to gain it would be better than silver and her profits better than gold. There's been an entrepreneurial spirit in the United States that I affirm and I love. It has, doesn't hold a candle to the spirit that God asks us to have as children of God. As children of God, we gain something that's better than money, something that's better than a position, something that's better than having a big bank account or a 401k, and that is to have a life that is marked by wisdom and the gifts that God intends to give us. Having that is more precious than jewels, says verse 15, and nothing you desire can compare with her. There's nothing that can compare from being a child of democracy. Nothing, nothing can be offered there that compares with being a child of the living God. And we are first and foremost children of the living God, not children of the United States. In Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant around your neck. And along with that, Proverbs 6, 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. We are not only under the Lord God, but God has put authority over us, and we, our job is to put ourselves beneath authority. We are in a culture right now that doesn't trust authority. As a child of God, the way that formula works is that because we trust God and God is the one who's put authority over us, we choose to trust authority because we trust God. So actually, the respect we give our parents and the respect that we give authority around us is in relation to the respect and the love that we have for God. Now, some of you who are postmoderns will quickly say to me, if they've earned it, I'll respect them. So let's take a moment with that. Paul, 
who was in prison falsely in Rome, who Nero had just come to power, who would ultimately kill him, who was cruel to Christians, wrote in Romans that we were to respect authority. Jesus, who would be crucified by those Romans, said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's and render under God what is God's. We are in this world that is broken, with broken leadership and broken authority, but our relationship to God totally affects our relationship to other people. And we trust them insofar God is, as God has asked us to, and as, insofar that God remains primary for us, we trust the people around us. Now, we have apostles who said to the people who were in authority, we will not stop preaching the gospel. We will not stop preaching about Jesus Christ. We can't stop because we answer to God first. But that didn't mean they didn't honor and show respect to authority. We've lost something today by our disrespect for authority. We're hurting our kids in our disrespect of authority. We're losing some of the wise life God intended for us. We submit to God. We submit to others. In Proverbs 16, 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. We are in this world. I'm part of the United States. I would rather live in the United States. I've traveled around the world. I always love coming home. I am thankful that I get to live in the United States. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. That means go ahead, live the life that God called you to, the job that he called you to, but primarily you're doing that work for the Lord and you're committing those plans and God is the one who establishes. Proverbs 29, 15, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. I put this one in because I wanted to talk about the relationship between parents and children specifically today. Uh, I was raised in a home where I was spanked. I was a child in my home that I was spanked more. Uh, I was more of a, a, not a great kid growing up. I struggled. Um, I thought that was right. I spanked my kids. Uh, I spanked, all of them were spanked, some more than others. And, um, and then my kids went to school and found out that spanking is abuse. And uh, they came home and said, Dad, did you know that you abused me when you spanked me? Well, I spanked him again. No, I did not. Um, And now I'm watching my kids raise their kids. And I admire what they're doing. Like, I don't know that discipline means you have to spank. I admire how they're disciplining. Here's, Here's what I'm going to say is that I actually think There's not one way to discipline. What I'm going to suggest is that if we don't discipline our children, it's a failure, however you choose to do it. And if timeouts are working for your kid, if talk to them is working, then praise God. Um, If spanking is a thing you choose not to do, I would affirm that for you. But... uh, I grew up in a time of spanking, and that's probably what I would do again if I was a young parent. What I think is wrong for us as Christians is to think that discipline 
is something that's wrong or bad. Actually, we are being disciplined by the living God and we need to discipline our children or they may not trust God. There's a lot at stake here. Teaching them to show respect is our job. Teaching them to trust God is the goal of parenting for a, for a child of God. What better thing could we give our kids? I want to return to the United States. We value independence, freedom, self-reliance, and individualism. And this experiment in the United States in 250 plus years has been pretty impressive from a global perspective. There's a lot to be admired in what has been accomplished by our forefathers. As Christians, it does not mean the same thing to be American and Christian. Those are not the same things. We value reliance on God. We value interdependence with each other and dependence on God. We value freedom in Christ, and that freedom produces a freedom like no other. That is, we put ourselves under the living God. We are free to be the people God always intended us to be. That kind of freedom is not afforded in any other community and in any other place. We have a freedom available to us in Christ. It's a freedom to live. It's a freedom to succeed. It's a freedom to live right and good. It's a freedom to have second chances. And the path of happiness or the pursuit of happiness, that individualism, individual responsibility I think is a good thing even for a Christian. But ultimately we are responsible for each other. We are each other's brother's keeper. We are, we are responsible for each other and we are responsible to God. And I owe you love and you owe me love. We are not islands. I will continue to try to flourish as an American, but where I will truly flourish is as a Christian. Trusting God, under God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all that we are, giver of good gifts, the one who pursued us when we weren't pursuing you, the one who loves us and is trying and attempting to bless us through the power of Jesus Christ, we choose to trust you today. We want to honor you with our lives and all that you've given us. And we want to live lives that flourish. Help us to submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.